Well, hello and welcome to the very first online worship service for Chapel Hill Church. We're really glad that you are joining us. And if you are joining us 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, then there's actually a live chat function that you can access. Some of our team are going to be on there. They're going to be hosting the chat. We'd love you to post any words of encouragement you might have or maybe scripture verses or prayers, things, things that are on your heart. And we'd love to have some online community there together. And if you are a parent, then I would recommend that you download the Parent Q app. You should have got an email about it earlier this week, but it contains the very same lesson that your kids would have been studying if they were here this weekend. And so you can download that and you can share that with your kids. And that's a great way to have your kids engaged in worship. And I know it's not normal when you're at home, maybe watching TV to stand up while, while you're watching TV. I know I, I prefer to sit down, but, but I want to encourage you, where, wherever you find yourself this morning, if you are able, we're, we're about to worship our God, our, our, our holy God, our awesome God. And I, I wonder if we could give him the honor this morning of standing up. So wherever you are, just want to invite you to stand at this time. And, and I want to encourage you, as, as we sing these songs, I want to encourage you to sing out. You might be conscious of the, the person sitting next to you and whether they can hear your voice. If, if you're worried about that, then here's a tip. Just turn the volume up louder so that, so that you can't hear your voice over the volume. Uh, but, but we want to engage in worship together. Even though we're scattered, we're gathering together in this way. And so I, I want to start by inviting you to pray with me. So if you feel comfortable, maybe close your eyes. Maybe even put your hands out in front of you as if to say, God, I'm, I'm ready to receive from you what you have. So Lord, we know that there's been so much swirling around this week, so much, so much fear going on, so much anxiety. But we choose to come to you at this time. Your word says wherever two or three are gathered, you are there with them. Well, we're gathered perhaps virtually in some senses, but in living rooms across this peninsula. And Lord, I pray that you would be present to us. And today we are going to choose to believe and trust what your word says when it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully understand what God has prepared for those who love him. God, we believe and we trust that the best is yet to come in and through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and in whose name we're going to sing. All right, let's do this together. We're going to sing. We believe he's here. Whatever you want to do 
Father, we give you praise because you really are the good God. And because our hearts long to say, I live my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything. But it's weeks like this, Father, it's weeks when um, everything goes into crisis that we recognize our life is not completely surrendered to you. Our life is not lived looking up wholly to you. Father, we confess to you We confess that we have been really self-assured. We've been really confident in our own ability to provide. We've been really confident in our own powerfulness. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise and we recognize you in the midst of crisis as the only one who is truly powerful as the only one who holds the goodness of the world in your hands, the only one who can change our circumstances. And so, Father, would you find us today asking for forgiveness? Would you find us willing to say we are powerless, that you are the only good one? And so, Father, would you assure our hearts by your spirit today that you are good that you do hold the whole world in your hands, that you are trustworthy, that goodness and righteousness will follow us all the days of our lives. Would your spirit speak that to us today, that assurance to us? And so, Father, as those who've been humbled and assured of who you are, we pray on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our world, on behalf of our families. Father, you've said for a long time that if your people would humble themselves and pray, then you would hear from heaven and come and heal our land. And so we petition, we ask on behalf of the world, Lord, would you come? Would you heal? Would your goodness follow after us? And yet, Lord, with great fear of you, I also pray tonight, Lord, that you would not withhold your hand until you have found a surrendered people, a 
people who are willing to say that you are the God who is in control, of people willing to say our life is surrendered to you. And so would you find that within us today, a willingness to give you everything. Father, I expect and I ask on behalf of our world for your gospel story to find its ending in our nation and in our world. Your gospel story is one that when things die, they come back to life. That when we are empty, we are provided for. When we grieve, we are comforted. When we are lonely, we are put into families. And so would your gospel find its ending within us, within Chapel Hill, within Gig Harbor, Pierce County, Kitsap County, Washington State, and to the ends of the earth, Lord, we want your resurrection life. And so as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, we invite the power of the resurrection, the story of the resurrection to come alive within us, we ask. In Jesus' name.
riches of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King. Oh, he's bringing us to new life. Let's sing it. By your spirit I our trust in you. We invite your spirit to come right now. Breathe life into these dead bones. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? We're desperate. We need you. We need to hear from you. Bless Pastor Larry. Anoint him now by your spirit as he comes.
to share with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapel Hill. Cindy and I can't be with you this weekend because on Wednesday morning we flew out to be with our daughter Rachel in North Carolina. I wish I could be there personally to share these words with you, but I want to tell you how impressed I am by our pastors and our elders and our deacons and the leadership that they are providing. You're going to hear from Pastor Larry shortly, and he's going to share with you a really exciting and frankly an audacious plan for us to try being a church in a different kind of way. It, it might be a chance to experiment with things that we otherwise would not have the courage to do in normal times, but these are not normal times, are they? So we're going to try something quite audacious. We thought we were going to be audacious by planting one new church in Port Orchard this spring. Actually, we're going to launch a hundred new churches, all of them from within Chapel Hill, all of them gathering in homes, and all of them led by lay leaders from Chapel Hill. We had a recent sermon series, Get in the Game, well, this is the game, and it's your chance to get into it. Ironically, the Chinese character for crisis is actually comprised of two Chinese words, the character for danger and the character for opportunity. Obviously, we live in times that feel dangerous to us in some ways, and we're waiting to see how that will all pan out. But this is also an opportunity for us, an opportunity for Chapel Hill to rise up as perhaps it never has risen up before. We've talked about wanting to move beyond our walls. This is our chance to do it, to turn our hearts and our attention to the community around us. Last week, we talked about a vision of elevating others. This is our chance to do that too, to instead of turning our attention to ourselves, our fears, our desire to hoard and to worry, we will choose instead to turn our hearts outward, to notice the needs of others, to, to share and to be generous and to love as Christ would love. This is our moment. This is a chance for our sweetheart church to rise up. And I have every confidence in you that you will do just that. I'm going to be home shortly, and I look forward to seeing what the Lord is doing through all of you. God bless you as you listen to what Pastor Larry has to say. Well, thank you, Pastor Mark. Earlier this week, and when uh, government, uh, the governor, Jay Inslee, uh, had that press conference, and he talked about mandating that large gatherings would not happen, we had a lot of discussion about this in our staff, and we decided in the end that we had a social responsibility to care for our community and to do what we could to limit the reach of this epidemic. And so that's why we decided to go to this online strategy, but also not only online, but in homes, in our neighborhoods. I'm joined here uh, by a smattering of deacons and elders and life group leaders, leaders of our church, and. Um, we are practicing social distancing. It is uh, one of the most surreal experiences in my life to preach to a room of people who are scattered very far apart, but that's what we're doing right now. After we are done recording this service, we will be meeting with these guys, and we will be talking about exactly what Pastor Mark said, the strategy to be 100 churches and 100 different homes. That's the season that we're in right now, and so we're going to talk about 
uh, that in this room with these people, it's going to begin here, but I don't believe it's going to stop here. I believe that we're all going to be a part of this, that we're all going to be opening up our homes and moving into our neighborhoods and really seeing God do something really amazing and cool with this. You know, it is incredible to me, the sermon series that we have been in, how relevant they are to this moment. We think about loving our neighbors, being for our neighbors, for our city, being, getting in the game. And now here we are in this moment. This is the time. This is a time to live that out and to really see what God can do through his church. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited to see the potential of his church and to see what happens when we live into what God has been teaching us for these last six months. Since the church plan has been announced, I've actually had a, a number of people approach me and ask, what about the building? You know, where's the building going to be? And invariably, my response has been something like this. The church is not a building. The church is a people. And more than ever, that's so true. The church is not this worship service. The church is not this building. And so whether we meet here or not isn't the determining factor of whether we are a church. The church is you. The church is you exalting Jesus. The church is you elevating others. The church is you launching disciple makers. And I really am excited to see us, you, be the church in your neighborhoods. Well, we were in a series called Vision 2020. I guess we're still in a series called Vision 2020. Last month, or last week rather, you, you uh, might have heard Pastor Mark unveil our new mission statement, and you might have just heard me refer back to it. Um, you know, we decided this Sunday our strategy is changing. It's changing. Things are changing. So we're, we're going to need to do a different strategy. And more specifically, there's, there's something that's on our hearts and minds that we just need to address right now, don't we? So we are pivoting. I'm doing a completely brand new sermon that I just wrote this week. I just planned this. So this is for our moment, for our time. And what I wanted to speak to you about was good news. Good news. Man, we could use some good news right now, couldn't we? We could definitely use some good news. There's a lot of bad news out there. Uh, recently, I was on MSNBC.com, and I noticed that they had a section of their website that was completely dedicated to good news. And if you look at it, you could see that some of the stories were about people who were raising money for friends, raising money for people suffering from cancer, raising money for uh, classes, those kinds of things. And there were some stories about cute animals and the cute things they did and how cute that was. And, you know, when you look at this, it's, it's heartwarming stuff. But it's kind of like shoveling sand against the tide. It's not enough good news to really counter the, the deluge of bad news that we are hearing day in and day out. So we need good news that will kind of stand up to, our, to these times, these times full of bad news. Christians have good news. We call it the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. But, you know, when I've talked to people uh, in the church about good news, and, and you know, when I talk to people and ask them, can you, can you tell me what you think good news means, especially as a believer in Jesus, I find that many people struggle to identify that. They struggle to, to find that it feels kind of murky for them. Or... The other response I might get is that some people will kind of uh, give me a sort of an evangelism formula. A lot of times I'll hear something like, the good news is that Jesus came to save me from my sins. 
And that's not wrong. It's not, it's not a, a bad thing to say. I think that's absolutely true. But I have a couple of problems with that way of talking about the good news. One of them is that that's not how good news works. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Let's imagine that you have a friend named Jimmy. And Jimmy is worried. Jimmy's worried about the economy. He's worried about how he's going to take care of his kids right now. He's worried about the coronavirus. And he shares this with you. And your response to Jimmy is this. Jimmy, I've got good news. Jesus came and died for your sins. I promise you that's going to be a little bit hard for Jimmy to connect with. He's going to have a hard time figuring that out. You know, and the reason why is that uh, it's kind of a, a, a theological proposition. It's, it's a statement of fact when you say that Jesus died for our sins. And what Jimmy is asking for, he's kind of like Jimmy's asking for a hug. And when we say that, we're giving him a mathematical equation. What Jimmy's dealing with is worry. And ultimately, worry is a matter of the heart. And so what we need to give Jimmy when we give him good news is something that will address Jimmy's heart. So that's the first thing I have to do with it. And, and one of the reasons why this is, this is a, a challenging thing for us in our culture is because I think that um, for, for lots of reasons, historical and sociological that I won't get into now, but for lots of reasons, I think that we have learned to treat human beings as primarily thinking creatures. That's how we think of ourselves, as that we are thinking people. That, that's what drives us, what motivates us is our thinking. But you just have to think about that uh -huh, for a little bit to realize that that's, this doesn't really comport with how we live our lives. Think about day in, day out, how many decisions you make that don't actually involve you thinking. Little rituals that you do, habits, things that you say that don't even come from your prefrontal cortex. They just come from somewhere else and you just say them and you don't even think about them, right? Or think about people that you know where you said, man, I don't know why they did that. That seems really irrational. Or think about even your own life and the habits that you do that you don't like. Things that you know aren't good for you, but you still do them. And so it says to us that there's somebody else in the captain's seat than our brain, than our minds. And what is that? What is in the captain's seat of our lives? And I would say that it's a heart. That we are not primarily creatures who think, but we are creatures who love. That's what defines us as human beings, that we are loving creatures. And so when we talk about the good news, we have to talk to people in a way that acknowledges that they are motivated by their hearts. So whatever the good news is, it has to be good news that addresses the heart. So that's my, that's my first problem with just saying good news is that Jesus died for our sins. But here's my second problem. It's that that's not how Jesus talked about good news. It's not. You know, we have, we have the benefit of 2,000 years after the fact. And so when we look backwards, we see that as the, the dominant feature of Jesus' life, that he died on the cross and was resurrected. But the reality is that when Jesus talked about the good news, he didn't say, good news, I'm going to die for you on the cross. That's not what he told the people in that day. As a matter of fact, he told very few people that that was going to happen to him. So what did he 
tell people. And this is where we begin to look in scriptures. The first thing I want us to, to see is in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. If you've got your Bibles, you can look along with, this, with me or you can look at the screen. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, it says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. The good news of the kingdom of God. Now, if we really struggle to define the gospel, if the gospel feels murky to us, well, the kingdom of God definitely feels murky to us. And no surprise, we don't often talk about the kingdom of God in church. It's not a, a subject that comes up often, but for Jesus, he, still, he talked about it all the time. All the time. If you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the gospels have him talking about the kingdom of God. So I'm going to make it easy for you, and I'm going to define for you what the kingdom of God is. Very simply, the kingdom of God is wherever God has his way. Wherever God's way is done. Okay? Kingdom of God is wherever God's way is done. Any kingdom, by the way, has a king. And so it's, if we were to re-articulate what Jesus says when he said, I'm going to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, another way to say that is there is good news. A new king is in town, and he is inviting you into the way of God. Now, this was actually a radical thing for Jesus to say in his day, and, and part of that has to do with understanding what the word gospel meant in Jesus' time. It's not, it doesn't mean uh, what we think it means. Actually, it was, it was a politically charged and loaded word because gospel was a word that conquering countries would use. So to illustrate what I mean by this, let's, let's take Rome, for example, the empire of Jesus' day. Rome uh, let's say that they're, they're conquering the country of Greece. And they, they take it over. They defeat the authorities of Greece. After they did that, they would then send out runners to the town. And in each town, these runners would go and they would say, Gospel, good news. Rome has defeated your authorities. Caesar is king. And this is what the rule of Rome looks like. This is what the rule of Caesar looks like. This is gospel. So when Jesus said there's a gospel, there's good news, and the kingdom of God is at hand, it's actually an insurrection. It's actually saying that there's a new king in town and that all the allegiances that are present are threatened because of this. So you can imagine that this is why the authorities that were in Jerusalem were sweating when Jesus came on the scene. So then what does the gospel of the kingdom look like? For this, we were going to turn to Luke chapter 4 again, this time in verse 16. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he makes this statement as he begins his ministry about what is the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom of God look like? It says this, he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does the kingdom of God look like? Where God has his way, where King Jesus rules, human suffering is alleviated. Where King Jesus rules, there is peace, there is forgiveness, there is justice, there is compassion, there is love. This was the good news of Jesus. And it's not just about what Jesus came to bring. It was actually about Jesus himself because, remember, the kingdom has a king. And so Jesus was proclaiming not only was there good things to come in the kingdom of God, but there was a king who would deliver those good things. And so when we read the good news, when we read the gospels, we learn about what kind of king Jesus is. And he is a king like no other king we could imagine. A king with a profound humility who knelt and washed the slime and the grit off his disciples' feet and said, you do this too. A king who would relentlessly pursue the people on the edges of society, no matter how broken, how ugly, how much of a pariah they were, he said, I invite you into the way of God. This is a king with profound wisdom. He taught us upside down ways of living in the world. He told us that when someone hits you on one cheek, give them the other cheek. He said that when someone steals your coat, give them another one. He said to love your enemies. He said the way of doing life that is the best is the way of the selfless life. And in 2,000 years, his way has proven to be the best way to do life. He is a king who rode to his coronation ceremony on a donkey, a king whose crown was made of thorns, a king whose throne was a cross. That kind of king is worth my service. That's the kind of king I would love. Sometime later, disciples from John the Baptist approached Jesus with a question. If you turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 7, or read along on your screens, this, this is what they asked him, these men from John the Baptist. They came to him and said, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In other words, are you the king? Are you the one who was prophesied about? And continues on, in that hour, Jesus healed many people of, Jesus, of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, 
Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, what Jesus is telling John and his disciples is, trust me. Trust me. In Christian circles, we have these words. We, we, we talk about faith and we talk about belief. And I believe that we do these words a disservice. Because what usually, a lot of times when we're talking about faith, sometimes we have this association of faith that what we think it means is, is this kind of blind ascent. We talk about leaps of faith or blind faith. Now, on the other hand, when we're talking about belief, we have this idea that it's, it's all in the head, that, that belief means that you're making this intellectual connection or, or you're agreeing to the facts. But in Scripture, both those words, faith and belief, actually come from one kind of silly little Greek word, pistis. And what pistis means is trust. Trust. Trust is a heart word, by the way. It's a word that addresses where we are at here, not here. So the good news of Jesus is that he has come, he is the king, and that he brings God's rule with him. But then he says to us, do you trust me? You know, Americans are, are really very religious. And I don't mean that in the sense that perhaps that you might be taking me to mean that in, actually. What I mean by this is that even as our society and our culture becomes more secular, we still are in a place where we need to trust our hearts with something. And so there are a number of things in our society that have kind of taken the place of, of the religious function in our society. Um, and actually, it's interesting. Martin Luther, I have this really great quote from him. He says this about this. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. Whatever then your heart clings to and relies upon, that is properly your God. So where you put your heart, what you put your trust in, Martin Luther is saying, that's what you worship. That is what is God for you. And there's been some research done by sociologists, a group of them, who, who looked at American culture and discovered that there are things that, that bear these religious marks, things that have their own rituals and experiences, even their own doctrine and ethics. And they identified these seven things. I'll read them for you. Body and sex. Big business. Entertainment. Politics. Sports and science and technology. And for each of these things, even for people in the church who say that they are followers of Jesus, for many of us even, these things have captured our hearts and we put our trust in them. But it's been really fascinating for me as I've watched this coronavirus epidemic unfold is to see that each one of these things is threatened by the coronavirus. Each of these things kind of have their own sort of good news. So the good news of body and sex is that we can pleasure ourselves in any way that we want. 
But this little virus that you can't even see is reminding us that our bodies are in mortal peril. The good news of big business is that we can be prosperous. But this little tiny virus is making our markets crash. Good news of entertainment is that you can escape and be happy, but it seems there is no escaping this and that depression and fear are on the rise. The good news of politics is that if you get the right person in, in charge, in power, everything will be better. But right now we're seeing our leaders fail us left and right. The good news of sports is that anybody can do amazing feats, but our arenas are closing, our events are shutting down. The good news of science and technology is that we can understand anything and that we can fix anything. We are seeing the limits of our knowledge and our power is failing us. So the good news of Jesus forces us to ask the question, what do we trust in? What do we put our hope in? What do our hearts cling to? How's that working for you? This last week, I overheard a conversation in the office of a friend of mine who was talking to somebody, and this person said to this, this other person that they weren't afraid of the coronavirus. And I knew this friend. Let's call her Sarah because she wanted to remain anonymous. I knew Sarah. I know who she is. I, she's a, she's a, a woman in her mid-70s. And she's in, in the category of risk that if she were to get coronavirus, she's 40 more times likely to die from it than I am. 40 more times. And I had overheard her saying she wasn't afraid and I knew her, and I knew this wasn't a flippant comment from her. And so I, I went to her after that, and I asked her, why aren't you afraid? Talk to me about that. And this is what she said to me. And I quote, I have seen the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. And she proceeded to tell me about her life and the struggles that she had and the things that she had suffered through, how she had lost a husband, how she had been estranged from a child, how she had been near death in a third world country away from medical uh, care. It was actually in that moment that she said that she had a realization that she was on the verge of death. She knew that what Jesus was saying to her then is, I put you here. You are mine. I put you here. And in that moment, she began, she came to trust Jesus as king. And as she reflected on her life and realized what Jesus had done for her, she saw the effects of the kingdom of God in her life. So when her husband passed away, she felt the peace of Jesus. She knew Jesus' peace. She saw Jesus reconcile her to her child. And when she was on the verge of death, Jesus healed her. Jesus was king for my friend Sarah. And that's why she wasn't afraid. And in her life, not only was Jesus king, but um, 
she saw Jesus live through her. It was, it was amazing to talk to her and, and to hear what she was doing to respond to coronavirus. She told me that she has a neighbor who's older and, and doesn't have family nearby, is in that same risk category as she is. And she went to her neighbor and said, I will take care of you. I will check on you. I will make sure you are okay. You are not alone in this. She told me of a friend of hers who was telling her about their, their readiness for this. And her friend told her, you know, I think I've got two weeks of food supplies. And Sarah said to her, nope, you have three months of food supplies because I have three months of food supplies. And I don't care if I have to walk across town in the dark of night to get you food, I will do it. And so because Jesus is king in my friend Sarah's life, we see the peace of Jesus in her life. We see the compassion of Jesus in her life. We see the power of Jesus in her life. We see the kingdom of God, God's way, living through her. So I ask you again, what do you trust in? What is your good news? Because this is what Jesus offers us, the good news of his rule, his way of doing life. You know, for many of you who are watching right now, I wonder if you are feeling fear, if you are feeling what I described, a sense of all the things that you are trusting in unraveling and falling apart. And I offer to you this good news is that we have Jesus to trust in. We have Jesus to keep us from fear. We have Jesus even to trust our very souls, our very hearts with. So I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this. I would not be hurt if you pause the video to do a prayer right now. But I want to, to encourage you, this is the moment to tell Jesus that you trust him. A simple prayer is all it takes. If you would just stop, stop and say something like this. Jesus, I do trust you. Have your way in my life. That's all it takes. That's the beginning of a relationship where you rely on Jesus, not on the things of this world, not on the structures that may fail us, but on Jesus the King who has proven himself worthy. There are things that we can do in our lives to help us to build up trust in Jesus. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is what I like to call habits of the heart. We have habits of the heart. All these things that we do, as I mentioned before, that we might not even think about, but are ways that our heart lives out, and we, we do them all the time. One of the habits, I think, of our hearts that we are doing a lot right now is turning on the TV. A lot of people will do that when they're afraid. They'll turn on the radio. They'll turn on the TV. That's a habit of the heart. When we are in fear, we look for what we can trust. Here's my encouragement. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio and pray. Prayer is a habit of the heart. When you confront your fear, when you feel your anxiety, make your reaction prayer. Our president just declared Sunday a national day of prayer, and I think that's right. More than ever, our country needs to stop relying on our own selves and recognize that Jesus is king and come to our knees in prayer. But it only starts there. We need to be doing that every day. 
Our staff is going to be meeting from 9 to 10 every morning, and we're going to be intently in prayer. We recognize that every time you pray, you are aligning your heart. Remember, this is a heart issue. When you pray, you align your heart towards God, towards his goodness, towards his power. So that's one habit of the heart. Another habit of the heart is reading scripture. Right now, my wife and I, Megan, we're gonna be reading through the gospel, the good news of Luke. And we're gonna read one chapter a day. And I encourage you to join along with us. As we read, we're gonna ask very simply, who is King Jesus? What is the good news of King Jesus? So I encourage you to read that with us. We're gonna begin tomorrow. You can read Luke 1 tomorrow and read the good news of Jesus and align our hearts with his through these habits of the heart. Another thing you can do is to share good news. Share this video. Maybe you don't feel like you can articulate what I just did yet. I'll do it for you. Just share this video. People need to hear good news. And they need you to tell them why you're not afraid. And don't be flippant. Don't be saying, I'm not afraid just because. What we really need to hear is actually authentic reasons why we're not afraid. Soul level, heart level things that really speak to our trust and our confidence in Jesus. So share the good news. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you. I hope it is, it is made known that as Christians, we are people of hope. The last thing I want to encourage you to do is to gather. We're going to be releasing these videos every Sunday at 10 a.m., and what I hope what happens is that when it is wise, when it is prudent, when it is safe and it makes sense for you, that you would gather in each other's homes. I was reading an article from the Pierce County Health Department. They said, social distancing is good. Social isolation is not. And I think over the coming weeks, we are going to find it more and more challenging as we see the toll that isolation takes on us. That's part of the reason why there are people in this room right now because we want to begin now thinking about how do we connect together in our neighborhoods at a hyper-local level? What does that look like? So that's my encouragement to you. This next week is to consider joining somebody in their home. Maybe it's just a few people. That's all it takes. But we need each other to encourage, to speak hope, and to speak trust in Jesus. Join me in prayer. King Jesus, I've done my best to make you as grand, as beautiful, as good as you are. But Lord, I know that that is a work that I can't do And so, Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit is working in the people who are watching and listening right now, that you would give people a, a pure and great sense of who you are. King Jesus, help us to trust in you. 
Lord, help us to identify the things that our hearts may cling to that will fail us. And help us to turn to you who never fails us, who holds our souls in the palms of your hands, who cares for us in a way that we can't even imagine. King Jesus, rule in our lives. Make us a community, a kingdom who resemble you, who as we make you king in our lives, share your compassion, share your peace, share your love with our communities. King Jesus, make it so. We ask in your name. Amen. We're going to close our service by singing together. As we were singing the song we sang earlier, right before Pastor Larry got up to preach, uh, he said, that song is my sermon. We have to sing that again. Those words are the words that I want us to be articulating at this time. And so we're going to sing that same song again. We don't normally do that, but I want to invite you to do that with me. So if you'd like to stand and do that and join your voice together with us, we would love that.
That's good news. That is good news, people. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for those of you who are watching online and joining us. We are really leaning into this online thing. So as you look at the video underneath you, you'll see the description area. There's a number of things there I want you to pay attention to. The first of all is we have an online welcome card. This is really important right now because we need to be conscious of what each other's needs are. And so this is your way of doing that. This is your way of telling us what your prayer needs are, what your actual physical needs are. Please let us know if there's ways that you can help. So on that online welcome card, say hi and fill that out, put, out, put your needs on there. The second thing that's on there is a giving link. You know what's interesting in this time as we, as we uh, are facing these crises, what people's tendency to do is to turn inward, is to, is to take care of yourself first. And so if you are inclined to give, let me encourage you as you click on that link to make this an act of worship, to make this a time where you say, you know what, Jesus, right now I trust you. And it's a way of showing that I'm gonna give. And let this be a start to your way of living like Jesus did, not only giving for this community and for the sake of this ministry, but giving of your life, giving of your time, for the sake of your neighbors and your neighborhoods. Let that be an act of worship for you. And the last thing on that is... Discussion. discussion questions. Thank you. Yes, so there's some discussion questions that we have for you. If you are joined by some people, some folks in your home right now, your family, whatever, we want you to, after this is over, to talk about it. What a perfect opportunity to reflect in your own lives what you can do to care for your neighborhood, to re respond to what God is leading us to do in this time. So now I'm gonna leave you with a blessing, a benediction. It's different than the one that we normally do because I wanted to leave you not only with a, a, a blessing, an encouragement, but also a commission. So this is it. It's from Colossians chapter three. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful that the message of Christ, his good news, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.